Okay, good afternoon, my beloved family in Christ and dear friends. I'm really happy to have this privilege to speak to you again this Sunday. It was a bit touch and go this week as I was a little bit down with the flu. But I am glad to be here this morning because it's always my joy to serve God's people by preaching God's Word. The fourth part of the series on the life of Moses. And we will be looking in Exodus 3, verse 1, to 4.19. So let's pray and jump right into today's message. Let us pray. Father God, you are a gracious God who first reveals yourself to us. You reach out to us, a people blind in our sins, and open our eyes to see and know you. God, you are also a rescuing God. You have made a way for us to enter your presence through the death of your son Jesus on the cross. And now through this, the gospel of Jesus Christ, we who have fallen short of your holiness can find forgiveness and pardon. Now we can find our true identity in you, adopted as your beloved children through Jesus Christ. I pray that as we look at, into your Bible this afternoon, I pray in the words of the psalmist that our hearts not be hardened as we hear your word today. Help me to be faithful to your word and to communicate it clearly. Help all of us glimpse the beauty, the goodness, and truth of Jesus Christ as revealed in the Scriptures. We pray this for our good and for your namesake. In Jesus' name, Amen. Identity. We have all struggled with the question, Who am I? Have we not, have we not asked ourselves this question? And this is not just a struggle among the young. Even the older ones among us struggle with our identity, especially when we are going through difficult life transitions, like losing a job or facing the challenges of growing older, when our bodies and minds don't work as they used to. Psychologists tell us that our identity is the expression of the idea, our idea of our self-constructed image. Sociologist tells us that our, our identity is based off our interactions and negotiations with the society at large. But how does this play out in Singapore, where as a society we largely pay worship and homage to the twin gods of pragmatism and materialism? In Singapore, society tells us that identity is based on what we achieve that works to bring us the most wealth and prosperity. Even our country's growth is largely determined by our GDP. And for many of us, at wedding dinners, a number of our conversations revolve around children and what they achieve, and us and what we own. Don't look down now, I know that happens. I've been to enough wedding dinners to know that. In short, we buy into the idea that we are what we achieve or we are what we own. But when circumstances change and we no longer are able to achieve as much as before or when life interrupts and we lose what we own, what then? What do we then base our identity on? How then do we answer, who am I? Answering this question is immensely practical 
as all of us largely live out the idea of who we are. Who you think you are influences how you feel and what you do. We see Moses facing this issue of his identity in Exodus chapter 3, verse 1 to 4.19. In this portion of Scripture, we see that God revealed His promises, presence, and power to Moses in His calling and commissioning of Moses. We see that our identity rests on the God of kept promises, abiding presence and power who knows and owns us. And not on anything else. So please keep your finger on Exodus 3, verse 1 to 4.19. This is a long passage and I will not read through every single verse. So please keep track with me as we work through the passage. Thanks, Eugene. Appreciate it. Now I can use both hands. Yay. Okay. Oops. Okay. And also, if you look at today's passage, it's framed by a prologue in chapter 3, verse 1 to 10, and a dialogue in chapter 3, verse 11 to 417. Because you see, in historical narratives like this, like in today's passage, one way to really understand what the writer is emphasizing is to look at the dialogue, look at the, the talk between the two main characters. And the dialogue in Exodus chapter 3, verse 11 to 419 comprises five sets of questions by Moses and answers by God. But before we look at the text proper, let us then look at some background to give us the context for our understanding. The book of Exodus tells us of God's great rescue of His people out of Egypt. But then what happened? How did God's people end up in slavery? To understand this, we need to look at what has happened so far. And I'll go all the way back to Genesis. So don't worry, I'm going to cover Genesis to Exodus in two minutes. God first created all things and it was good. God also gave the creation charge to His people to be fruitful and to multiply and fill the earth, thereby extending God's glory to the ends of the earth. Then Adam and Eve sinned and rebelled against God. And we see the rest of Genesis, the sin and its consequences, how it impacted the whole earth and the descendants of Adam and Eve. God then begins to enact His rescue plan with His calling out of Abraham, the father of the Israelite nation. God promised Abraham in Genesis 12, a people, a land, and a blessing. And Abraham trusted God and went to the land God God called him to. And the rest of the book of Genesis tells the account of Abraham's son and grandson. And by the time we get to Joseph, Abraham's great-grandson, the small tribe of Abraham's descendants, they were driven by famine to seek refuge in Egypt. And by the time of Moses, they have been in Egypt for some 400 years. And they went from honoured guests to abused slaves. They faced genocide from the pharaoh of Egypt. As a people, they were distressed and despaired of whether God will rescue them. But you remember the last couple of verses from my sermon last week. God saw and remembered. 
as we read from Exodus 2, verse 24 to 25. And God heard their groanings. And God remembered His covenant with Abraham, with Isaac and with Jacob. God saw the people of Israel and God knew. God heard. God remembered His covenant promises with His people. God saw and God knew. But that's not all. Because you see, God acts. God sees, God hears, and God acts for you. And we see this in Exodus chapter 3, verse 1 to 10. God is acting to rescue His people. God calls and commissions Moses. Once a princeling of Egypt, but now a shepherd. And He reveals His purposes for Moses to rescue God's people out of slavery in Egypt. You know, when I was studying in the States, and when I was traveling on the expressway in America, there were these huge billboards that advertised for all sorts of products. It doesn't happen here in Singapore, but in America you see that. And these billboards were often done up to attract the attention of drivers. And that is what we see here in this well-known account of the burning bush. The bush serves to point to God and calls Moses to come and see. Moses, now a shepherd, was herding his father-in-law's sheep in what is better translated, the backside of the wilderness. He passed by Horeb or Mount Sinai, Sinai, Exodus chapter 3, verse 1. There, the angel of the Lord appears as a flame of fire that burns the bush, but did not destroy it. This is an extraordinary sight. A brightly lit burning bush that is self-sustaining with no one to tend to it. And this attracts Moses to it. Exodus chapter 3, verse 2 to 3. As Moses approaches the bush, a voice calls out to him, Moses, Moses. God addresses Moses personally. Moses is astonished and with a growing sense of fear replies, Yes, here I am. Exodus chapter 3 verse 4. God then tells Moses to take his sandals off his feet for he was standing on holy ground. God is holy. He is distinctly and totally God and unlike anything else. And God's presence causes everything He touches to be holy. And God was revealing to Moses His holy nature. He, Moses is to keep a distance from the bush and to take off his shoes as a sign of reverence as he was entering the presence of God. You know this, in Asian culture, you don't walk into someone's house with your shoes on. You know, you take off your shoes, put it outside as a respect for your host. That's the same here. Moses is instructed to show reverence and respect to God. God then reveals to Moses who he is. He is the God of Moses' father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And by telling Moses this, God is saying that God's faithfulness over the many generations since Abraham, according to the promises in Genesis 12, was becoming was beginning to come true, was beginning to come to fruition. 
He will rescue, He will begin the rescue of His people out of Egypt to the promised land. And God has never forgotten His people. Even Moses' immediate family is included. God will fulfill His covenant promises to His people. You know, if you were Moses at this point, you would imagine to be jumping up and down for joy. But Moses hides his face. For he he realized that he is in the presence of holy God. Exodus chapter 3, verse 6. To really understand someone really well, you would need to know him as a person. The purposes that drive him and what promises he makes and keeps. And this is exactly what God does to allow Moses to understand and know God. God continues to reveal Himself to Moses. He reveals His purpose, His person, His promise. We read in verses 7 to 10, God's purpose. God has seen the suffering of His people and slave in Egypt and has heard their cry for help. He has seen the cruelty and the oppression of the Egyptian against His people. Verse 7. And God has come down to deliver them, to rescue them from the Egyptians. Moreover, He will rescue them from Egypt to a good and bountiful land, a land promised to Abraham. Exodus 3, verse 8 to 9. When Moses hears that, he would have been overjoyed. God is acting to rescue His people where Moses himself once failed, where Moses himself failed when he acted on his own, trying to do God's work his own way. However, Moses' joy was dampened when he hears in Exodus chapter 3, verse 10, Come, I will send you to Pharaoh that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, of Egypt. Um, did Moses hear right? God is sending Moses to rescue his people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. Moses is going back to face Pharaoh after escaping from Egypt as a murderer wanted by Pharaoh. God is sending Moses who tried to rescue God's people, Moses' own way, and failed and was rejected by his people some 40 years ago. The very same Moses who has just spent 40 years in exile where his only rescue was the tending of sheep. God works out His plan, His way, in His timing. God makes promises and He keeps His promises, but He fulfills them in His own way and time. My friends, are you struggling with trusting God? Perhaps you're facing some difficulty and you find no relief despite praying and waiting. Perhaps you desire a marriage partner and till now, apparently, your prayers are not answered. Perhaps you desire, perhaps you desire um, better results and you're working hard for the students among us. But till now, your prayers have not been answered. God works out His plans in His way 
and timing. Perhaps not in the way and time you and I expect. After all, just at the right time in history, Jesus Christ came into this world and accomplishes God's plan for the rescue of His people. And Jesus Christ did it in a totally unexpected way by dying on the cross as a ransom in your place for our sins. I'm sure you have counted this. Well-meaning Christians who, when we express doubt, tells us, don't doubt, just have faith. I mean, I heard here all the time. I'm sure you do as well. However, as we look here, the scripture is honest. And we see here, it honestly reflects the human condition. We see here, we see Moses doubting. Moses doubted. And Moses was not shy about it. He spoke up and questions God, expressing his reluctance and doubt. And this is seen in the dialogue between Moses and God in Exodus chapter 3, verse 11 to 417. And it takes place as a series of five questions and answers. The first question by Moses is seen in Exodus 3, verse 11. Moses questions God, Who am I that I should go? Moses is saying, Who am I? He questions and doubts his identity. After all, this is the Moses Remember, there was born an Israelite, raised an Egyptian, and just spent the last 40 years as a failure and exile in Midian, tending sheep. Gone were the thoughts that Moses had in Exodus 2, that he was to be God's deliverer for his people. Seen when he tried to rescue the Israelites his own way, Moses thinks on who he had been, and he thought that his past had in some way disqualified him or crippled him for the task. Is God sure he has the right person? And God in his graciousness replies Moses, I will be with you when you come out of Egypt and you will serve me on this mountain. Note, God didn't go, Moses, remember your princeling of Egypt? You had a great, you have a great education and training, and you have all the giftings and competence for the job ahead. Now go for it. God didn't sound like some pep talk coach. Instead, God responded by telling the Moses that the issue was not who Moses was, but who God is. Moreover, God will be with Moses. In other words, the identity of Moses paled into insignificance beside the identity of the one who stood behind him and stood with him. We also see that God tells Moses the sign of his success lays yet in the future when Moses and the Israelites come and serve God on the mountain. I mean, think about it. Moses... Is, is, like, is his confidence not sure what's going on? He expects God to give him a sign, but God tells him his sign will happen in the future when Moses deliver the Israelites out of Egypt and they come worship in on the mountain. 
So what God did is, rather than condescend to show Moses a sign right now, God tells Moses that the sign of his success will be seen only after Moses stepped out in faith, demonstrating trust and obedience to him. In other words, God was telling Moses that God's presence is all that mattered and that he should trust in that. You know, for those of you who actually know me, I'm quite a stubborn person, so I can really identify with Moses here. You think that Moses will be reassured by the answer, but Moses questions God the second time. What is your name that I may tell the people who sent me? Exodus 3.13 If the first question was the issue of identity, the second question has to do with the identity of God. Who are you, God? You say that you will be with me, but just who are you, God? In response, Moses, God utters the following, which is the one of the most widely interpreted texts in the Hebrew Scripture. God says in Exodus 3, verse 14 to 15, God says to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, Say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, Say this to the people of Israel, The Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, has sent me to you. This is my name forever. And thus I am to be remembered throughout all generations. God responds to Moses in a way, again, that seems very puzzling. He responds that he is, I am who I am. Or it can be also translated, I will be who I will be. God is the creator and sustainer, the self-sustaining one who eternally exists. And by instructing Moses to say that I am has sent me to you, God, in effect, appoints Moses as his ambassador and representative. And you see this, God ties who he is to what he has come to do. And this is tied to his promises to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the patriarchs of Moses and his people in verse 15. And by doing so, God was telling Moses that the promises he made to Abraham will be fulfilled. And God will do this through Moses. God's abiding presence and relational commitment through His covenant promise to Israel guarantees Israel's future. God is telling Moses, you know Moses, I am God and I keep my promises. Wow. You think, that after God's answers to the first two questions, Moses will get with God's plan, right? I mean, two answers by God telling Moses, reassuring him. But Moses was still not ready to give up his resistance and doubts. Moses asked in Exodus 4.1, How would the people believe that you have sent me? 
Moses was questioning his reception by his people. And Moses, in doing so, refutes God's declaration that the Israelites will listen to him in Exodus 3.18. Apparently, God's verbal assurance were not enough for Moses. Moses was still carrying the baggage of his past when he was rejected by his own people. Sorry, excuse me. But God continues to show grace to Moses. God's response was to offer some more immediate signs other than the one promised in Exodus 3.12. The sign promise of Moses and his people coming to worship him on the mountain. What do we see? God turns Moses' staff, Moses' staff into a serpent, then back into a staff in Exodus 4, 2-4. God makes Moses' hand leprous, then heals it in Exodus 4, 6-7. And God instructs Moses to turn water from the Nile into blood, Exodus 4, 9. The signs show that God is sovereign over creation, over illness, over and over healing, life and death, and even demonstrates God's power over the river Nile, which is the source of life for the Egyptians and that which the Egyptians worship. The Egyptians worship the river Nile. And God is saying that He has power even over what the Egyptians worship. God shows Moses His power. That while Moses may not be confident of His reception by His people, but the one whose presence is with Moses has infinite power and Moses should not fear. And after his three objections, Moses continues the course of doubt that he has set and set forth a fourth objection. I am not eloquent. I am slow of speech. Exodus 4, verse 10. We see here Moses questioning his competence. He echoes Jeremiah in his call narrative in Jeremiah 1.6. While it may be that Moses, perhaps by this time, had developed some speech defect, or maybe in his time in backward median, an interaction with the rough and tumble shepherd folks has caused him to lose the gift of his gap. However, if you remember, Moses had just seen a burning bush that will not burn up. He has just watched God turn a staff into a snake and back. And he has seen God turn his clean hand into a leprous one and back. Moses' excuse is poor excuse. God in response says to Moses in Exodus 4.11, I am the Lord God, I, the Lord God, am the one who made your mouth. God reminds Moses that he is the creator. He tells Moses to stop doubting, to stop vacillating, and promises to give Moses what was necessary for the task. God, the creator, will equip those he calls to the task he calls them to. Excuse me again. And finally, finally, 
Moses' reluctance and doubts were finally revealed for what they are. He just doesn't want to go. Please send someone else, Moses tells God in Exodus 4.13. Moses doubts his responsibility. Moses, in essence, was telling God, Here I am, God, but send someone else. And there appears now to be a tone of irritation and rebuke in God's response. However, God tells Moses that Aaron will go with you and you will speak my words to him and he will speak to the people for you. Exodus 4, verse 15 to 16. God's anger was mitigated by his mercy. Aaron was to be appointed as spokesperson, a sort of prophet for Moses. And Moses was to go. He could no longer shrug off the responsibility any longer. Someone else may do the talking for him, but he was to be the front man. And this time, there is to be no discussion, no doubts, no objection. God, having given Moses his word and the task to do, God urges Moses to pick up his staff to go. Perhaps a reminder that an ordinary doubting shepherd can be God's rescuer for his people. And as Alec Moyer, a Bible teacher, writes, the Lord did not take away or even promise to take away Moses' nervousness or to impart boldness to him. He did, however, call him. God calls Moses to a position of trust. When Moses was faced with his task, his vocation, to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt, in chapter uh, Exodus 3, verse 10, his reaction was, I can't, therefore I won't. The Lord sought to bring him to a point where Moses instead will say, I can't, but he can, and therefore I will. Rather than resting his identity on the God of kept promises, abiding presence and power who knows and owns us, Moses had till now built his identity based on his past failures and inadequacies. We all build our identities off something, don't we? Some of us build it off our achievements. Some of, it, some of us build it off what we own. Others of us build it off avoiding our fears. And yet others like Moses build identity off our past failures and hurts. When we build identity on something other than Christ, that identity is ultimately unstable as it's built on something that will change or the basis for the entity is an untruth. It is ultimately self-destructive as it's built on something that cannot bear it. We sin when we build identity off something other than Christ because we will soon worship and owe our loyalty to it. It's only in Christ alone, the eternal unchanging one, the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, and yet the one who 
promises that He will never leave us nor forsake us. Can we build our identity? He is the fulfillment of God's promises. He is a demonstration of God's power. And He dwells with us. So what? What now? If our identity rests on the God of kept promises, on the God who are, uh, God's abiding presence and power who knows and owns us, so what? What now? What does this mean for us? Firstly, have doubts, but seek God. And I speak to those among us who have doubts. Throughout the account, we see Moses having doubts, and yet he expresses his doubts to God. And God shows patience and grace to Moses. It may sound strange. It's okay to have doubts. But let your doubts lead your questions to God. Maybe you're in a place in your life where you don't want to be. And this has led you to doubt God. And I'd like to share with you the words of another Bible teacher, Andrew Reed, who writes, This God will undoubtedly take us to some places we do not wish to go. Perhaps at times, He will overwhelm us. But in Him, we have found who we are. We know there is nowhere else to go because He knows us and He alone has words of eternal life. John 6, verse 68 to 69. He alone gives us meaning, purpose, and identity. Let your doubts be the step up to faith in Christ. And for those among us who are seeking, seeking who Christ Jesus is, I plead that your doubts will seriously lead you to explore who Jesus is. And I recommend our Seekers class for you to help you in this. Every quarter as a church, we conduct a Seekers class where you can bring your doubts and questions. If you are interested, just give your name to any of the ushers and you'll pass the name to the church staff and we will put you in contact with the teachers when we start the next class. Secondly, build your identity on Christ. What are you building your identity on? Achievements? Results? Material wealth? Affirmation? I will not touch on this at length because I covered this earlier. But for my Christian friends and church family, I plead with you to examine and evaluate on what are you building your identity on. Because you will live out your identity. You will feel from out your identity. You will set expectations and goals out your identity. Remember, we are not what we achieve. I know it's something that runs counter to our Singaporean narrative. We are not what we achieve. We are not what we own. Rather, we are who owns us. So build your identity on Christ who has bought, brought you, bought you at a price. My friends, build your identity on Christ who has bought you at a price. Thirdly, 
we are to live out God's identity for us as a church. We have been called to salvation. We are also called to grow to Christ-likeness as Jesus the disciple. But this call for us as individuals is also a call for us to live out our identity in the community of the local church. So as a church, take church participation seriously. We are to live out identity as God's children together as a church. We are as a church body continue to portray and picture the gospel and love of Jesus Christ to a watching world. As a church, seek to love the church. Care for one another. Forgive one another as the gospel tells us that we are really forgiven in Christ. As a church, my, my brothers and sisters, when we live in such a way, what we'll do is we'll testify to a watching world our identity as God's dearly beloved children. We will give witness to the truth of the gospel. And in the end, Moses accepts God's call and commission. We see in Exodus chapter 4, verse 18 to 19, he asks permission from Jethro, his father-in-law, and heads back to Egypt. Moses understands that his identity rests on the God of kept promises, abiding presence, and power who knows and owns him. And he goes. One of the songs I love that speaks to our identity in Christ is Who Am I by Casting Crowns. I know some of the young people might know this song. And the lyrics go like this. Not because of who I am. I won't sing it. I'll just read it. Okay? Not because of who I am, but because of what you've done. Not because of what I've done, but because of who you are. I'm a flower, quickly fading, here today and gone tomorrow. A wave tossed in the ocean, a vapour in the wind. Still you hear me when I'm calling. Lord, you catch me when I'm falling. And Lord, you told me who I am. I'm yours, I'm yours, I'm yours. And it ends with, Whom shall I fear? Whom shall I fear? Because I'm yours, I am yours. We are God's. Our identity is based off who owns us. And in Jesus Christ, God has made known to us, God has been made known to us, when we believe in Jesus Christ, we have a new identity as children of God. John 1, verse 12 to 13. We are now disciples and slaves of Jesus Christ. We are now God's own. Having been ransomed, from our futile existence and bought with the precious blood of Jesus Christ. Our faith, hope and destiny are set on the God we met in Christ and our identity is bound up with the God who calls us. Our identity rests on the God of kept promises, abiding presence and power who knows us and owns us in Christ Jesus.
before I end with a closing prayer, I'm going to give us three to five minutes to pray together in prayers. In pairs. The two prayer, prayer points are on the PowerPoint slides. They are, pray for each other that identity be rooted in Christ alone and give thanks that we are children of God. And two, pray that for the church that we live our identity as God's children in our relationships with, within the church and among others outside the church. Please take three to five minutes, maybe in pairs, turn to your neighbour and be praying through these two points. And then I'll close us in prayer. Let us pray. Let us pray. Father God, I pray for all of us that your word today will impact our hearts and spark in us a new deep affection for Christ Jesus. Lord, I thank you that our identity is found in Christ. It is in Jesus Christ that we have been justified, forgiven, sanctified, and will be raised and glorified. We have been adopted as your beloved children. Help us to live our identity as your children this week. In the name of Jesus Christ, in whom we have identity and life, I pray. Amen.